of all shapes and sizes how you doing this is the people's pitch podcast the official podcast of your minneapolis city soccer club this is the 69th edition of this here show so now i'll take the time to pause for a second to let your inner 12 year old child have a quick laugh and now we'll get after it this is a tad different this week as nate is off at a competitive eating challenge and we will not be he will not be joining us this week but as a treat, I am joined alongside me by a very interesting guy, a talented writer, a soccer fan, a teammate of mine, and a friend, Mr. Adam Bells. Belsy, how you doing, man? I'm great, John. Thanks for having me on. Great to be here. Um, good look at the eating contest, Nate. <laughs> I'm sure he'll put down uh, maybe what 15 hot dogs or and 26 chicken wings or something like that. He'll he'll, he'll do mean, a good seems, he'll do a good job. Seems like a bare minimum, 15 dogs. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sure he'll do the technique where he dips it in the water, the bun in the water to soften it up and everything. So, um, anyways, as far as uh, news around city headquarters here, we broke the internet uh, and the podcast uh, with, with the podcast airwaves last week with talking about Brandon By getting drafted in the MLS draft in the in the top ten. Did a little bit of winter up winter session update, and then we introduced the the new side, the U23 team, and then we also had um, Trey Benhart on giving his account of the of his time with the at the MPSL showcase. So we take a little bit of different spin this week as we move a little bit away from the Crows for a bit, and we focus on soccer in the United States. So we'll talk with Mr. Bell's about his background and, and why you should be following his weekly soccer takes and uh, and how you can do so. And then we'll talk a little bit about the U.S. friendly match as they, they were back in action again to kind of close out the, uh, I don't know, not necessarily close out, but they were uh, they were in action um, this week playing against Bosnia and Herzegovina in one match. And then we'll finally talk a little bit about the Loons since it's been, um, we've kind of purposefully been quiet about our Crosstown Cousins for a while, but we'll dive in to the comparison after a full year uh, of, you know, how these two expansion teams between Minnesota United and, and Atlanta United FC, kind of where they're at, and and maybe hearken a little bit back to some of the predictions that uh, that I made that uh, maybe have come true or uh, I was completely wrong. So that's what we have today, folks. So you heard a silky voice as we had the intro today, but let's uh, get to know a little bit about our co-host for tonight, Adam. Um, Adam and I go back about four or five years, I, I'd say. Um, when right. he, gra- he graced us with his appearance, joining Stegman's old boys at right back, where he and I have shared many minutes kicking the ball around. But he is much more than my favorite right back on any side that I'm lacing up on. Adam is a journalist <laughs> by trade and currently employed on the Metro desk, correct? That's right. Of the yep. Minneapolis Star Tribune. But in his free time, he pens a weekly soccer take on all things uh, U.S. men's national team, youth national team, and Yanks abroad. Adam, why don't you, you know, give us a, a little bit about your background, um, some, you know, some general knowledge so po- folks can get a chance to get to know you, uh, where you're from, and, and what your soccer background is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, first I want to say congratulations on the Brandon Bai thing. Uh, I will just say that publicly. 
getting he was drafted sixth in the or eighth eighth in eighth, the draft eighth overall yeah 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 I guess you've probably talked about it plenty on the podcast but that's a that's really cool and congratulations to you guys thank you appreciate that we we know each other from Stegman's old boys as you mentioned uh, I want I also want to give a shout to that club because it's a, a home away from home for a lot of folks who moved to Minneapolis from other parts of the country welcome to me right in when I moved here in 2012. And the annual general meeting with you and Huda is the party of the year in my book. <laughs> it's coming up. It it's is what, a two blast. Weeks, right? Yeah, yeah. So thanks to you and Dan and Nick for building that club and keeping it rolling. And it's the it's the you know it's sort of the forefather of Minneapolis City in a lot of ways, right? Right. Exactly. Um, I grew up in Eastern Iowa, three hours straight west of Chicago. Played soccer my whole life. Walked onto the squad at Covenant College, a, a little. Uh, Presbyterian school in Georgia that was an NAIA powerhouse, I think I, it's fair to say, um, back when I was there. Uh, I was not a very good player. I was kind of an Ali Bedoya type, you know, <laughs> uh, a lot of energy, a lot of energy, not a lot of, not a lot of quality. And um, I played sparingly for two years before hanging up my cleats before my senior year, just too busy with other stuff. So now that we know a little bit about the the fact that you got some some chops on the pitch, let's talk about your professional background. Take us through your career as a as a journo. Yeah, um, thanks for asking. Like most reporters at newspapers, I inter- interned at some papers in college. Got a job out of college at the Cedar Rapids Gazette in Iowa, which is the nearest sort of sizable paper to where I grew up. Then worked my way to the Des Moines Register, which is a bigger paper, and then the Star Tribune in Minneapolis. I've I've covered crime, local government, business and economics in my career, never been a sports reporter. And right now I cover City Hall in Minneapolis, which is uh, never a dull moment, let's just say. I'm, I feel lucky to have a job, lucky to have a job in the industry at a stable paper where journalism is valued, you know? So you you have a side project called Scuffed. Take our listeners through what that is and why it's kind of become your side passion. Yeah, I I've been a US men's national team fan since I was a kid, like probably most of your listeners, but I I started to really get revved up as a as a fan, started to get more serious as a fan after the Copa America in 2016 or right around that time. And by this time last year, I was watching a lot of soccer on Saturdays, you know, trying to find out how young Americans were doing in various parts of the world. And I got frustrated that I had no outlet. I And I wanted to sort of have something to show for all that time in front of the television. <laughs> <laughs> like all of us? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you start to feel bad about yourself if, you just, if you're just watching and you know, there's nothing that comes out of it. So... Um, I started, I started the newsletter, I think I'm like 42 weeks in, so almost to my one year anniversary. Oh, well, Last early, spring. early congratulations. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> I, 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 I thought it'd be really, I, I thought, I thought it'd be fun and it is, you know, it's just, it's a sport full of action and beauty. Um, and writing about it is fun. And since I'm basically writing just my own observations and analysis, I can, I can really cut loose and enjoy and I enjoy that freedom. It's very different from my daily newspaper writing, which for good reasons has a lot more constraints to it. <laughs> right. Day job's a day job, right? 
yeah, you get you get you know I can write something harsh about Dave Sarek and and nobody cares, right? I can if I can I can't write something harsh about somebody at City Hall because it's a <laughs> right. real person that I have to see. I mean, right. it has to be very carefully written, you know. Right. So, do you get a lot of traction with Scuffed? I, I know it's you know it's in its infancy. You mentioned it's it's almost a year, um, but how's the response been thus far? It's still pretty modest, but it's gotten more traction since I started cutting highlight videos of Americans playing abroad, which I which I started doing in like September, and I linked to those videos in the letter. That kind of it's kind of the only way you can get to them, unless you know, unless somebody who gets the letter shares the link with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I've 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 gotten some good shouts from Daryl Grove at the Total Soccer Show. I'm a big fan of his show, their show, and he's a fan of the newsletter and. That's given me some exposure to the national sort of soccer community. I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Uh, lately, lately, I've gotten more traction on Twitter than on than with the newsletter. People love like you know gifts of players doing stuff, and I try to drive folks from Twitter to my newsletter, but uh, I don't want to be obnoxious about it. And the so the Twitter audience is rapidly outpacing the newsletter audience. So do you do you kind of feel that um, that you know by by going you know having you on today and and you know your connection with Total Soccer Show um, you know that that's going to be kind of your your main your main traffic driver or is there anything else that you're you're doing that uh, that could you know promote more of a listener audience. Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I'm not the marketing genius that you and you and Dan and Nick are, but um, I'm like I'm not stressing out about it. You know, it's a side project, and I I really enjoy I really enjoy it. So I'm just kind of gonna keep doing it, keep trying to re- do a good job, and if as long as I'm enjoying it and people are signing up, even in small numbers, I, I feel real good about it. I suppose you know, be, doing podcasting does it does help because seems like a lot of people listen to stuff and don't read as much. Right, right. Well, it, it's a you know the the spoken word is is a good driver to the written word we found, and you know I I fully really? hope that um, that that this this appearance with uh, with us will will help kind of get some cross promotion, so you can you know people can kind of get your take on things and. And that uh, we we can help promote uh, the the work that you put into it because talking about soccer and more soccer is awesome for everyone. So I'm I'm really glad that you do you do what you do, and I'm I'm really glad that you're on with us. So now that we know that Adam is cool and he's one of us, which is why we had him sit in for Nate this week. Um, but given your background and and your and the focus of Scuffed, um, why don't we transition to a topic close to your heart? The recent friendly between the United States and Bosnia and Herzegovina. The game was very typical for, you know, men's U.S. national team fans from the area, which is something that we'll get into uh, quickly uh, in, in a little bit. Um, but the match ended at a 0-0 draw, and I can simply put it that I, I really wish I had that 90 minutes of my life back. And, and oh, yeah. the, sa- the sad part about it really is, Adam, is that this is the first time I've thought that since being a fan, like, in 1992, you know, post World Cup 1990, where it was like, oh my God, we made it. And then I watched those games with my father, and it was like, man, are we bad? And 
what are we yeah. going to do next? So I, I read your article this week about the match, and I feel like you maybe um, agree with me a bit on that statement. So what were your kind of thoughts, overall, just general thoughts of the game? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I was. I I feel like I wish I had that time back too. I I didn't have super high expectations for the game. It's this you know it's this January camp tradition of sort of a B team from MLS, and this wasn't even this was a this was maybe even a C team because a lot of the big names from MLS weren't there. Um, but what I was hoping for was to see young players, young players and new players. Um, one of whom is going to be, you know, familiar to, to the audience here. I wanted to see Christian Ramirez, you know, I wanted to see Justin Glad. I wanted to see the rail, rail Salt Lake center back and his teammate, Danny Acosta, who plays left back. I don't want to see, I don't want to see Zardes or Morrow, Justin Morrow or Jordan Morris in this kind of game. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It's not, it's not interesting, you know? You know this. This you know. Let me know if you also feel this way. But it it kind of felt to me like this is the first time where, um, you know maybe call ups were were kind of sent out to players in in those bigger names that you that you mentioned that weren't there, and maybe they were turned down by guys because they just didn't want to be part of where we're at right now, and they didn't want to attach their name to the U.S. national team. It kind of felt like that to me. And then and then you, you know Could like. Be. Didn't it feel like a little bit weird? You know, like there's something else going on there that we're not really uh, privy to. Yeah, I mean, I didn't specifically get that feeling, but it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, you, who, how could you blame, you know, Josie Altador or Michael Bradley for wanting to skip this? Yeah, especially all the shit they took, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. You know, like it, it, it just felt weird to me. And I was like, man, like, are we are we at that point right now where a call up to play for your country doesn't mean like what it used to and and it should never be that way but it kind of felt like that way to me a little bit yeah i mean i i guess i just put it in the category of it's a, it's it's the it's absolute bottom in terms of meaninglessness you know mm-hmm. for a, for a friendly there's there's no competitive matches until what concacaf nations league yeah. Which comes up in in the fall. I'm not even sure what whether what I'm not even sure the U.S. is going to be playing in the early rounds of that. So it could be you know it could, the Gold Cup is like the next big thing in 2019. There's no reason there's no reason for players who have to get ready for the season to to spend time here. That, so all the more reason why not bring in young guys who are enthusiastic, which they did. They brought in some for the camp. Why not why not cap them? Give them a chance to play and show what they show what they have, and give the fans something to be excited about. No, we didn't do that. Acosta, Glad, and Ramirez didn't even dress for the right. match, and and uh, Zardes. I mean, I, I know I already said it, but Zardes, Morrow, and Morris. There's just no there's no reason to give them. They should be with their clubs trying to get, particularly Zardes and Morris. They should be with their clubs trying to get ready for the season so they can be successful with their club, with their team. They've had they both had very bad runs of form lately. Well, so and it just Zardes doesn't make was, any sense to me. Well, and Zardes was just traded to Columbus. So it's like he has no chance to get in with his with his teammates in the beginning of camp because he's out out uh, you know playing left wing for the United States and having like terrible first touches as he's kind of accustomed oh. to, you know, and like it you're right. It's just like 
it, it just didn't seem like this there, this was like well thought through and it was kind of just put, thrown together. So let's talk a little I bit heard, about. I heard it. Th- uh, well, let me real quick. I heard the theory that some from some places that Sarah can the you know the interim manager has has a belief that he can win he can win the job permanently there's no way (laughs) well yeah which sounds is laughable but it it does if 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 that is in fact true uh then that would explain why he's like oh i'm gonna go with my old my old hands and try to get the win here show everybody how great i am I mean, it's well, it, ridiculous when it comes out of my mouth like that, but it's like the the, the total definition of lame duck coach that like they say in like the NFL, where a guy's like already fired before the season the season's over, and he has to finish it out. It it, it was the exact same way. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, team selection because we're kind of organically moving into that. So everyone in Minnesota kind of went batshit crazy on social media when Christian Ramirez, as you mentioned, was left out of the squad. Do you feel like this was justified? Uh, was a justified camp roster given that the preseason is happening in the MLS? I and mean, we talked about it a little bit, but um, dive, maybe dive in a little bit more. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm sure I'll find a lot of agreement out there when I say I really wanted to see Ramirez in the, in the starting 11. I, I, I put him in my projected starting 11 or my, you know, my sort of wish list starting 11 because we've seen all the other guys. Uh, Ramirez is a, he's a goal scorer. He's, he's a gamer. He scores goals in lots of different ways. His hold-up play is above average. I mean, it's not like striker is a position of strength for the U.S. right now. We don't really have – I mean, Altidore's Altidore's good on his day, but he's not great. He's not, you know, he's not like a top striker. And so we don't have anybody that's that good. Why not not give Ramirez a a shot at it? Right, and we kind of did that. I was really disappointed in that. We kind of did that with um, with uh, what's his name from uh, Orlando City, um, who who, who Dwyer. dropped out of Dwyer, who dropped out of camp. Like when he when he became a naturalized citizen, it was like he was in the first camp right after, and he was given a shot. He scored a goal. Like this would have been kind of tailor made for a guy like Christian Ramirez. But now there's there's thoughts that maybe Colombia is going to come in and and and, t- and snap him up and and give him a chance, you know, maybe that does, doesn't come true, but it could yeah, come true. And then happens. And then we lose another player that might be able to somehow contribute to our, to our, our country's side. So with, with, you know, keeping along the, the topic of Ramirez, you know, knowing that um, he was left out of the side and the staff had an eye um, into kind of what made that decision. But my early indications are to kind of like put, a little bit of the angst and the anger to rest that's out there. Perhaps he was just outperformed in training over the past three weeks. You know, like I, I feel like people don't take that into consideration that they, they're just so tied to him because he's from here. And I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it's, he, he seems like you mentioned, he seems to be that gamer type of player who might perform better when the lights are turned on rather than in training. And, you know, he scores his goals on the bigger stage, but doesn't put in the little, the, the work and little things. But I don't necessarily know if that's true either. You know, would you agree? Yeah, I mean, who knows what happened in training? It could be, it could be that that he was completely outclassed by the other strikers. It seems hard. It's hard to believe, honestly. And you you earn these call ups by your performance for your club. You know, for your team. That's why that's why you get the call up in the first place. So, I don't know. Do do national team coaches say? You know this guy, 
this guy didn't run laps hard enough, so <laughs> we're not going to give him any minutes. Right. I mean, I it just seems ridiculous. Maybe, yeah, maybe he wasn't. Maybe he just wasn't gelling on the on the training pitch. Could be, could be. Yeah, you know, I mean, Juan Agadalo was in the camp, and you know, ever since he scored his first goal in South Africa, everyone's kind of been like. Everyone at the time was like, "Oh my God, we have the next great striker. He's 17 years old. His 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 upside is huge." And then you you fast forward to now, and you're like, "I do not want to see that guy ever again wearing a U.S. national team jersey." So I think it kind of it kind of puts a bow on this this whole topic of Ramirez. That you know, I feel like there's probably something that went into the decision um, as you know. Maybe less with yeah. a, a guy, you know, like Glad. Like I think that he, you know, the the center back pairing of Zimmerman and um and uh and what's his name um Opara Opara, Opara. like yeah I, I don't have anything to I don't have anything bad to say about that selection but you, you would have liked to see Glad in there and but anyways uh, don't want to just give him just give him forty five minutes you know just right. give Glad forty five minutes or give Ramirez forty five minutes. Right, or give Ramirez like twenty minutes, you know, just just cup cap time and 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 see what he's got, and then you know you don't have to invite him back in the future if it doesn't work out, but at least give him a shot. But I think it kind of goes back to that kind of lame duck coaching effort, um, you know. Even though you mentioned that Sarah can thinks he can win the job, um, and you know that's laughable. <laughs> that's laughable. Yeah. At I mean, I don't know if he, I don't know if he thinks that, but it would explain, you know, it would be one plausible theory for his selections right so yeah. all that all that other stuff aside let's get into the run of play um adam why don't you take us through you know what your thoughts were of the first half yeah it was just awful i don't know how much there is to say no no creative spark morris and zardes bumbling on the wings i thought the midfield was kind of a cluster even though i was happy to see tyler adams get a start there um, Matt Polster had a, I thought he had kind of a nice influence on the ball at right back at first, but then he, his defending was pretty bad. And I, overall, I I thought thought it was a chore. It was a chore to watch. It it, it really been, was. Yeah. <clears throat> so you mentioned Tyler Adams. <clears throat> Excuse me. I thought he didn't play very well. I, yeah, I, was, I agree. I was, out of all the, you know, Will Trap too, uh, you know, you mentioned the midfield in general. It was a cluster. Like, I felt that there, there was no cohesiveness, and it, it seemed like there was no one who, even though Will Trap, and Will Trap's a great player, by the way, um, never going to be on the, you know, the top tier A, a squad list, but definitely a serviceable mm-hmm. center midfielder, much like a Dax McCarty. Um, you know, yeah. that they'll come in and do a job for you. Um, but I just never thought that even though he was the captain, that he kind of took charge of the midfield and, like, organized it. And you could tell because Tyler Adams was just like a chicken with his head cut off running around. And, and I've seen him play for, for New York, and, and it's totally different. And yep. I was just super disappointed in, in his run of play. Yeah. Yeah, I was too. I thought I thought he looked a little better in the second half when – well, I don't know if you want to get to the second half yet, but I thought Adams looked looked a little better in the second half when he dropped deeper and was mm-hmm. sort of had the game in front of him. Yeah, I th- I think the I think his problem is he's not quite he's not quite there. He's only eighteen, so he's got time to develop, but he's not quite there at 
sort of like 360 degree sensibility that a good central midfielder needs. And you could probably speak to that more than I can since that's your position. But, you know, the ability to, to receive the ball in traffic, turn, you know, pull a trick, and then and then play the ball in a productive way. He's just not quite there, I don't think. Yeah, but, um, you know, to before we get into, into second-half thoughts, you know, but why why do you think a guy like Weston McKinney is is at the at the same age able to do that when he when he played in his first um, cap with the United States versus what Tyler Adams showed He's, against a, a, basically a, a even worse side than what Weston McKinney faced. I don't know, man. What what made uh, Van Gogh a great painter? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know it's. Uh, it's. I think it's a lot of it is natural that that ability and and of course McKenney is McKenney is training as a central midfielder every day in one of the great academies in Europe at Schalke, mm-hmm. or was has been for the last year and a half. While whereas Tyler Adams plays a lot of wing back for New York and does you know he's awesome at that job. Right. Right. So I think that it's no. a combination of combination of natural talent and and training at this point. I mean, I want to hear your thoughts on that. I mean, how hard is it to, you know, consistently receive the ball in the middle of the field and do something productive with it? It's a good question. I mean, my line of questioning for you was more my feeble attempt to, to pull out of you that the, the guys who train in Europe at that age are actually more prepared at the international level. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, but I just don't want to go around crapping on crapping on MLS, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have plenty of uh, opportunity for me to do that in a little bit. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, from a from a positional standpoint, in in my experience, you know, in you know, I I was never a fully capped international by any means. But um, I thought you were. <laughs> no, no, I uh, I had aspirations of that at one point in my life, but that those quickly fizzled out. But mm. as far as just generally playing in a crowded area on the field in in the middle you know you you mentioned it um a little bit with tyler that you know he he dropped back in more to find the game where in the first half he kind of let the game dictate what he was doing and and that's something that you just learn through time where he was running around trying to trying to cut off passing lanes that he really shouldn't have and then when we won the ball, he was out of position, and then he just didn't have the wherewithal to, to quickly get into position when we had possession. So it was, it was just kind of a mess, and I, I believe it. You know, you talked about his upside, and he's young. You know, there's plenty of opportunity for a guy like him to 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 learn that. But we're not in the in the game of, or we're not in the in the the um, industry of of allowing these guys to learn those little things at this level. Like we want performers as fans. Yeah. So it goes back to coaching for me. Like, why would you not bring in, you know, someone like, a, I mean, even like a guy like uh, Alejandro Bedoya would have, would have, this game was kind of tailor made for someone like him to play in the midfield where, you know, he, he's, he's played at a high level. He, he would have, he would have been able to help organize things, I believe. Um, or, you know, a guy like Danny Williams, um, you know, those type of guys that, that are just not quite there for the A-level would have been perfect to have in this this camp to kind of bring it all together. And, and I just feel like the, it showed that there's there's zero focus on 
what's going to be next for the United States until after the election, which we'll, we'll talk a little bit about in, in, in a bit. But on to the second half. Um, yeah. There were a few yeah. adjustments made, but nothing really great happened. Zimmerman gave up a really dumb PK, and the soccer gods did everything they could for the U.S. and, and turned it into the post. Um, basically, hmm. like, welcome to the game, Zach Steffen. You know, you come in at halftime as a goalkeeper, and your first line of action is to try to face a penalty. And then, of course, you know, you, you get Taylor Twelman's awesome uh, dynamite commentary of like, well, he saved the most penalty kicks in MLS last year. You're like, well, yeah, this guy didn't want to come into the game and that's the first thing he faced. So um, I think the, the bright spot was the introduction of Kellen Rowe. He was positive, but the rest of the changes were like kind of ho-hum for me. Um, as the same as the selected starters were, there were a few Mm -hmm. chances the U S created, but we lacked someone who attacked those chances at all costs in the final third. And I know Ramirez may have helped there. And I, and I can't think he would have, you know, and I can't believe I'm even saying this, but we needed someone like a Wondolowski type player who's literally, that's their job. Yeah. I mean, that's where we part ways, my friend. Cause (laughs) because <laughs> I, I mean, I, I if if the goal is winning the game, you know, if the goal is winning the game at all costs, then maybe, yeah, maybe maybe we need Wando, but we just we just want to, I just we just want to try new things, you know, right. try bring in new players, introduce new players to playing international soccer for the U.S. So I'm I'm going back to Ramirez. I I think I think he that's who we that's who we needed. I mean, right. you, you, I'll let you finish. I'll let you finish your Wando thought. Sorry for the interruption. No, no, that's okay. Um, you know, I, I for the fact checkers out there, I did say a Wandolowski type player, not necessarily okay, okay. <laughs> Chris Wandolowski. Okay, that guy's pretty much been dead to me since the World Cup. Um, but you know, I I agree with you. I think a guy like Ramirez could have come in, and and he really could have. Well, one, you know, a lot of fans were hoping he'd get he'd get a look. He's been on every list of like players overlooked by the U.S. Comes into the camp, everyone's like, "This is his shot." They get shit on because he didn't get selected, and then we have zero drive from a. I mean, I think I think, uh, think um, C.J. Sapong didn't do bad, but no. he he didn't do anything that Christian Ramirez can't do, and right. and Christian Ramirez has shown he can do a little bit more than that. So you know, to kind of put a bow on it. Um, we just lacked that attacking option, you know? Yeah. Like there were so many opportunities in the first half and, and then they kind of continued in the second half where it was like great, but you know, like what are you going to do in front of the goal? You know, we, we were building up play and we were, we were starting to get in a rhythm of passing and then it would be like, all of a sudden it's, you know, um, you know, all of a sudden it's, it's just a complete wet fart where the finishing needed to happen. And a guy like Ramirez could have maybe, maybe done that. So, you know, I'll, I'll agree with the folks from Minnesota who are all up in arms about him not, not playing. I agree with you, but um, I also disagree with you that maybe something else had to be kind of in the mix of his performance. We have to take that in consideration, but I kind of feel like sure. he could have, he could have done better. Yeah. And I agree with you that I agree with while we're in the spirit of agreement, I agree with you that <laughs> Kellen Rowe was uh, was a, was a, the positive sort of bright spot in the match. You know, he's a good the, player. All, yeah, he is. He's fun to watch. A lot of the a lot of the chances, two or three good good goal scoring chances came directly from his from his feet 
And I was going to say it came directly from his hand, but that's not exactly right. Came, came <laughs> can't from use his, your hands, Adam. From, that's like no, number one rule. You can't use your hands. That's that's a rule. Yeah. <laughs> and I would have liked to see, you know, going, just going briefly back to the midfield discussion, I would have liked to see Rowe playing as like a 10 in that three-man midfield. And, could, have, could have done worse. Yeah. But anyway, you know, who cares? Who cares when it all comes <laughs> down to it right so do you have any other you know final thoughts of the game no just uh, i i'm excited to move on to the to sort of like what this what this presidential election means just a brief discussion of that because because i think that the game just shows that we that we're in purgatory you know right ninth right. ring of ninth ring of hell kind of stuff <laughs> with with Sarakin. and we got to just Let's just move on. I'm anxious for that to happen. Well, I have a quick question for you before you finish here. Um, could anyone else in the system been promoted as like the interim manager and done a better job than him? Like anyone come to mind to you? Yes, Tab. I mean, Tab Ramos does, but I, the word on the street is he didn't want the interim tag. You know, right. he wanted and it why would he be permanent? Yeah. Right. I don't know. I don't know if there's anybody else. Does anybody come to mind for you? You know, not really. I was hoping that you would say someone besides Tab Ramos, and I would be like, "Yeah, it, I totally agree with you." <laughs> yeah, it's. A, I mean, it's such a shitty job, right? Mm-hmm. To to take right now. So I guess in that sense, I sympathize with Sarakin because right. who wants to who wants to be the interim coach of this listless, inactive national team? Right. I don't know who would want that. <laughs> right. We'll talk a little bit about, um, you know, the the presidential election, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I there's no, I'm no expert. I guess the, my main point is just the point I'm, I've already made, which is I'll be glad when we have a new president, whoever that is, because we can start mo- moving toward having a technical director or general manager, whatever, whatever that ends up being called. <clears throat> Excuse me, and then a coach, and then we can, you know, then we can start to move forward. And we can we can start putting some of this. I think there's a lot of excitement in the player pool. I th- there's a lot of young talent out there. Uh, we don't have to nerd out on all of it, but we do have more young talent succeeding in professional soccer than uh, than I mean I mean ever before. I think it's fair to say there's there are like six mm-hmm. six high level contributors to first teams in Europe under the age of 20 or 20 and 20 and under right now, which is like child's play for a nation like Brazil or Argentina, of course, but we are not Brazil or Argentina. We're the U S and, and the last time we had multiple, multiple teenagers contributing to their, to their clubs, it was Landon Donovan and DeMarcus Beasley, you know, right. And Bobby they were both in the MLS. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And you know, <clears throat> Was uh, was, yeah. Con, was Convey a t- was Convey a teenager when he broke through? Yep, Convey. You had um, O'Brien. You know, you had um, a young Bocanegra, who we'll talk a little bit more at length in a bit. Um, you know, you're you're right. We had we had a handful of guys that were the core of that O2 team. With you know, and you sprinkle in you know the big cat Tony Sana and Brian McBride and <laughs> yeah. those guys into it, and you had a nice tidy little it's- roster. Yeah, and, but some of those guys went. Some of those guys went to college, right? I mean, like Bocanegra went to college, didn't he? Right, right. And but they, but they so were the was, guys. They were the guys who 
who were still on you know within that early 20s range that that were performing on the US so to kind of kind of have apples to apples but you're right you know they 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 went through a different route than the guys that you're mentioning yeah i mean they're just, these guys are just so young like McKenney and Pulisic and Adams and uh Keaton Parks and, you know Anthony Robinson Cameron Carter Vickers maybe not having the best season but still he's a 20 year old starting at center back in the championship there's a lot it's just unprecedented so so I just want there to be a president so that there can be a coach who we can start getting excited about how he or she most likely he uh how he sort of puts that all together and like builds a system and gets everybody going in the right direction so we can go to Qatar <laughs> right, I could not agree with you more, Adam. Well, let's let's talk. A little, let's move on a little bit and talk about the Uniteds. Um, it's been yes. some time since we last talked about the other soccer team in town, and of course, I mean Minnesota United. Um, a little less than a year ago, when excitement was high, Nate and I drank the Kool Aid like just two fistful of it, and got really excited about our new toy that we had to play with in the soccer world, and. Um, kind of talked about how, how excited we were what was happening you know they would they would mention a player and everyone would like feverishly go to their wikipedia page and learn about them and be like that's my that's my new guy um but you know we're at a different impasse you know did you have the same feels that that we did when uh you know about a year ago when the team was about ready to kick off camp no i wasn't i wasn't quite as I was probably a little more neutral in my uh, enthusiasm level. I mean, I love I love going to games. I love the scene and the chance to see really good soccer. I mean, by my standards, you know, seeing live MLS soccer is it's just really fun to watch because mm-hmm. they're so good at the game. Um, and I I was, but I wasn't like you know this is this team is going to be amazing or this is going to be like life-changing i get i got about it well yeah i mean maybe just wasn't like quite as tuned tuned in you know i mean i was Mm -hmm. i was tuned in more tuned in the average person but less tuned in than you i think probably probably (laughs) and i got to be yeah so i so i did get to be down on the i don't want to jump the shark here I, i i got to be down on the front office a little bit after the Demidov debacle. <laughs> As and was I'm, everyone. I'm still not sure there's reason for confidence. And so, yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm I'm kind of, I'm still kind of in like a hang back and watch and enjoy mode. But I'm willing to be outraged if if you persuade me. Well, I'm going to do my best to persuade you okay. on that on that front. So, we're like I mentioned we're almost a full year um, since the, the, you know, the inception of, of the first camp. And, it, and it's no surprise that we want to kick the tires on this topic again, as so much has happened since then. We, you know, we had multiple drafts. We had a, a full year of gameplay, player signings, and then now the training camp is underway. So what we'll do is we'll circle back a little bit and talk about how kind of last season finished with both teams. Um, you you want to you take that? Um, yeah, so first Atlanta, they, out of, you know, MLS clubs play MLS teams, got to be careful about that, 
played 34 matches. Uh, they they won 15, lost nine, drew 10, uh, went to the playoffs and lost in the first round. Right? Didn't they? Correct. First round to the crew. Yep. In a very good game, maybe the best game of the. It was zero zero, but it might have been the best game of the playoffs. Um, and then a fifth a fifth round exit in the U.S. Open Cup, which they didn't. If I remember correctly, they didn't take super seriously. They were no, playing they didn't. Up. They didn't at all. And they, their their goal differential was 74, 70, 70 goals for, 40 goals against. Contra, by contrast, Minnesota United uh, won ten, lost eighteen, drew six. Obviously, did not go to the playoffs and made it to the fourth round of the U.S. Open Cup. Forty-seven goals for, seventy goals against. So and almost a full juxtaposition, really. Yeah, really. Yeah. And and attendance attendance figures, of course, were like out of this world for Atlanta, 48,200 average with a record high of 71,874, which is just amazing. Right. And Minnesota United was 20,583 as the average with they didn't report a high. Well, given that the new stadium is going to be about 18,000, give or take a few hundred, um, you know, the, the club seems to be in a good spot um, at the turnstiles. However, you know, in a 50,000 st- stadium, at, you know, in the, playing in the Gopher Stadium with a reported six sellout matches, I think something's a little bit fishy going on there, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, those, the, the attendance numbers, I think, are widely viewed with skepticism across the league, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. not just here, but I went to, probably eight or nine matches last year and and there were always a fair amount of empty seats and then they would say that there were you know 19,700 people there and I thought to myself you know if the lower bowl holds holds only what was it 20,000 20,500 there's there can't be that many people here right but I will say you know the crowds were solid the crowds were solid it was always encouraging did and they think? were always they were always loud, and you know I went to probably about four matches, um, and you know yeah I agree with you it was it was always a good atmosphere always empty seats but we we did report um, a couple weeks ago that we found out that the attendance figures for the MLS um, are a direct correlation to how many votes they get on USSF matters so. That's where the fishiness, I think, comes in a little bit for me and mm-hmm. where I start to get real skeptical in that if you're reporting sellouts and there's only about you know 18,000 people there in a 50,000-seat stadium, for example, um, that's not cool with me. You know, it, it, it's, it seems like, like cheating, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it does. I didn't, I didn't realize there was that um, corollary between attendance numbers and votes at USSF elections. Yeah, it, it and it's weird. With, it's with the NASL, it's with the USL and the NPSL. It's all connected to attendance um and then what tier you you follow in or you flow into. So, not saying it's um everyone's cheating, but I mean, come on. <laughs> it's a little yeah. bit fishy. Um so if we play back the win-loss record, Adam, there's a solid story be, uh, be told there. It, it's quite a difference and I think it shows fans of United what really could have been if the foundation for the inaugural season started off better or took a different route. 
you and I actually spoke about this a few days ago, but there's some clear differences in the way that both teams were put together from the start. Minnesota United was a direct pickup almost of the NASL front office with the addition of Amos McGee um, and a few others, including Adrian Heath as the head coach. They relied heavily on kind of some fanfare signings when really only two or three of those guys panned out. And, you know, and I mean, you can kind of throw a half person in there with Ibarra, but, you know, most of the guys, out, I mean, outside of of um, Ramirez and, you know, and maybe Coleman, I don't really see any of the other kind of fan favorite NASL signings really doing much for United last year. You know, we, we talked a little bit about Ibsen. He's not a fan fanfare type signing. Uh, a lot of people don't like his, his play. You and I agree that he's a good player and he, he brought a lot to, to the team, but um, you know, by and large, the, the initial signings of, of kind of the, the, in quotes, homegrown players from the NASL team failed. They missed out on most of their 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 first draft, including the expansion draft and the MLS Super Draft. I mean, a lot of people say Dunlandi did well, but the only reason why Dunlandi was on the field is because Ramirez got injured. Really, you know, there's no place in the system that Heath runs for two target forwards, and you know. What are you going to do with a, a guy who's fresh out of college versus a guy who's proven at a, at a pro level already? So I think another failure there. They missed on free agent signings. You know, I, I, we talked about Demidov, but I mean, there's plenty of other free agent signings that they had. Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Rasmus Schuler. I think he's a good soccer player, and I've seen him succeed at, um, outside of United when he was on loan um, back in his home country, as well as playing for his national team. Um, you know, but. Not really many, you know, even Nicholson who came in with, you know, kind of an out-of-favor winger for, you know, a, a mid-level team in Scotland. It was like, why do, why should I get excited for that? Um, you know, and then, you know, they they didn't hit on, on, you know, really anyone outside of trades. You know, they relied heavily on trades. Um, you know, they, they did bring in Boxhall as a center, center back, but... That was that was kind of a panic signing because they only had 11 healthy players because they didn't have a reserve system. So um, that was weird in its own right. But they relied heavily on trades, and I think that's really the only route that worked for them. You know, I think we differ a little bit on a few of these guys. Um, I think that you know bringing Birch in was was a good a good move. Um, you know, they, they didn't bring um, Tiasan in through trade. You know, he was one of the I think the free agent signings that did hit. Um, and, and played fairly well, but you had Cronin, you had uh, Ethan Finley, you had Molino, and you had Shuttlesworth were kind of the, the 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 bright the bright spots. Yeah, I mean, I I I like I like Molino a lot. You know, when he's on his game, he's he's really fun to watch and creative. And I do differ with you a little bit on on Don Lottie. I mean, he's not he's not really a target forward, so he's not exactly the same kind of player as as Ramirez. And I mean, he missed a, he don't get me wrong, he missed a lot of chances last year. Mm-hmm. He's not like he's not like straight up clinical or anything. But you know, for a rookie to score eight goals, I think he had eight goals. Yeah, he had eight goals. Is is pretty it's pretty good. And and he he's kind of like a more maybe like more of an inverted winger or something. Cutting in from the from wide. I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I can't. I can't really disagree with you with when your general drift is like they sh- they should have done better uh, from the front office at the beginning of the at the beginning of the franchise. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, the Demidov, the Demidov signing was famously bad. <laughs> it kind of goes down in that whole like, you know, the uh, you know the the NFL top draft pick who who who's a bust. You know, he was it was just a bad move, and you know. I, I he's like of, Ryan Leaf. He was like Ryan yeah. Leaf, except he had no hype about him. He's like it's like signing right. <laughs> somebody with no hype who's also very bad. I don't it's know, like it's, signing like your mechanic, wah, wah. right? Like <laughs> you know, like like in between, you know, the, the guys who are who are putting the roof on your house or kicking a ball around during during lunch break, and you sign one of them yeah. for a professional contract. Yeah, the <laughs> roofer. Just grab one of those roofers and bring them in. <laughs> right. So. I mentioned, you know, I feel that this is a situation where through trades, the coach had more of a say when it comes to those players because it was kind of like, go out and get me this type of player um, that he needed versus maybe the sporting director going out alone and bringing back guys for him to choose from. And, and I would say this smells of Adrian Heath being the driver behind most of the good talent on the roster after he arrived and, and acquired through those trades. Would, would you agree? I hadn't I hadn't thought of it that way, but when you as you explain it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I uh, I'm I'm a fan I'm a fan of Ibsen. Uh, and you, you mentioned that we talked you talked about that a little bit earlier. I'm a fan of his, and that's a that's a Manny Lagos decision, right? I mean to right. to bring him in in the first place and keep him on. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that there's that. Nothing good has come of Manny's decisions, but, but, uh, but yeah, you know, if if all those if all those guys we talked about earlier all came via trade, and Demidov and who's the, who who are the other big busts? There was a goalkeeper who didn't really who got injured and didn't really work out, right? Oh yeah, the then, uh, Alfbeg, the Scandinavian goalie. Yeah. Yep. Him. There was, um, I mean, pretty much everyone from the expansion draft outside of Mo Saeed, who they traded to get Kevin Molino, which was a good move. Um, again, yeah. going back to the trades. And Kevin Molino is an Adrian Heath guy from his days at Orlando City. So it's like, it, it all starts adding up to me that the the driving factor behind the success of any or any of the success the team had last year was through trade. And that was, that was Adrian yeah. Heath's doing. So I mean, how um, does it how does it work? Doesn't Adrian Heath have a, like a lot of input on with Lagos? Well, I mean, if is you, it yes, in theory that that should be it. But from from everyone that I know that has more kind of an inside look into either the the um, the, the franchise or who has worked with Adrian Heath, um, I, I have a really good friend of mine who um, worked with um, with the youth academy at at um, Orlando City for a while while Adrian Heath was there. And, and, you know, basically what I'm hearing is is that Adrian Heath is a very, like, hands-on, I want my type of guys in. And from what I hear and know about Manny Lagos, he's more of a <laughs> of cut from the same cloth. Like, I want my guys in. I want to make the decisions. I'm in charge. And that, that has to be a recipe for a little bit of a disaster, which I think is brewing yeah. right now. Um, but, you know, even if you go back to the draft class, it also, like, of this year, it also smells more of Adrian Heath and less of Amos and Manny. You know, going with an underage striker, you know, from Indiana, who is, I think, light years away from proving at this level, um, and then following yeah. that with 
um, some solid picks down the spine with a center midfielder and a center back that are probably more match ready at this level. You know, it seems to be more of his mo everywhere he, else he's been. That that's kind of what he what he does to build a, a roster. So I think he's maybe having more of a say, and it could be an opportunity for him to, you know, take a little bit more charge away from the the kind of the front office staff because they've made some glaring errors and and it the 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 clock is running out Mm -hmm. yeah i mean do do you think those that they got a center center back from somewhere in the northeast and then they got a right back too right carter manley yep and you think those two are the the center back's name is like olmstead or something or olmsberg olmsted yeah so are they gonna are they gonna play you think well, I mean, who else have they brought in that, you know, Adam, that's going to really play, right? Like, I mean, center back's not yeah. really a position of need. You know, you have you have Coleman and you have Calvo and you have Boxhall. You know, are those guys good enough? Maybe. Um, is it time to bring in a younger player who's hungrier rather than, than a player who's been there for a year? You know, if... I think the game changed for Minnesota United when, when they brought in you know a guy like um, Coleman into the mix, and he and Calvo I thought had a good partnership. But Calvo's a right back, so you know maybe the center back gets some time. But they also had Greenspan, who they brought in through the draft um, last year, and and picked him up, and and he was shipped out immediately to a USL team. So it's like <coughs> I don't know, man. I don't know if they're gonna play. They they they. They should get a shot, but what we learned with the U.S. national team is, you know, no one's handing out game minutes to people who we think deserve it. Right. So, Almsberg, the 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 new set, the, the college, the draft set, the drafted center back, he's left footed too, right? If I remember correctly. Correct. So, so you know, best case scenario, he's really, he's really good, and you know, outperforms, and then. Calvo can play left back. I guess you're kind of on the Mark Birch. You're on the Mark Birch train, aren't you? Well, I mean, he's you're happy with him. I'm I'm not necessarily happy with him. I just think he was a bright spot because he 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 just did his job as being a veteran right back. But then we also brought in Mears from Atlanta, who's another thirty year old right back. So it's like, oh yeah, right. You know, it's like it's just a whole lot of the same shit, different day kind of situation. But if you kind of pick up what I'm putting down here, it seems as if. Really, the terrible decision-making for building out a roster over the past years falls heavily on the shoulders of the sporting director. You know, I do that for Minneapolis City, and if I continue to bring in the same type of player that's not working, it's my fault, and Mm -hmm. I I would take ownership in that. So we've kind of yet to mention that, you know, that we're completely void of quality off-season signings and relevant trades that would help this club. Is it time for Minnesota— to say goodbye to the last member of the Lagos family if they really want <laughs> to take the next step? Or are we going to continue that false sense of hope? I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a very hungry fan base that we've already mentioned. <clears throat> excuse me. And at some point, there's, you know, it's loyalty. You know, like we're, they're even more loyal to a fault. And, you know, what what's what's really next? I mean, it, it, so a head has to roll, right? Well, I don't know that a head has to roll just yet. You think a head needs to roll right now? I mean, soon. If if the season starts out slow, 
like it did last year, and they're giving up like five and six goals a game, uh, and and not scoring any. I I think you have to make a move. You have to. Yeah, you're gonna start losing the the fans that you that you have that are that are real loyalists if you don't make a decision. Because I, I you know, and I'll talk a little bit more uh, about it in in a little bit. But I I just feel as if um, everything's done behind closed doors with this club, and there's no transparency. Like, hey, we're not gonna be good for a couple years because we're gonna try something our way. I would much rather mm-hmm. hear that than see the same shit happen over and over and over again. Because you're like, what are you doing? It's it's literally your job to make the team better, and you're and you're taking steps back with your decision making. Yeah, I mean, I um, let me just play devil's advocate here. They're they they improved a lot last year, so they acknowledged they everybody acknowledged that the that Demidov didn't work out and the some of the other early signings. They they kind of buckled down, and you know they had a pretty good run of form towards the end of the season. What were they like? you know six or eight points off the playoff line which is a low low bar in mls no doubt but um they weren't like they weren't the worst team in the league and and it was their first season and they got started pretty late so why not give why not give manny lagos another and adrian heath the whole you know the whole kit and caboodle give them another year and see how this see how this goes i mean i i suppose i agree with you if they're if they're just totally if they're terrible for the first two months of the season then like like they were right at the beginning of the 2017 season then that mm-hmm. then maybe a head does need to roll but ah uh, i i mean i doubt that's gonna happen do you think that's gonna happen i i don't know i don't know but why don't we do this? Why don't we shift gears to the other United in in Atlanta? I've really made it no secret that Atlanta has set the new standard in this league on how to build a team. And I've always made it, um, again, no secret that I feel its success last year and its moves to become more competitive in year two. I mean, they, they just brought in another signing today that I think is going to help them out. Um, come from the top down. And it's really the work of former U.S. national team captain Carlos Bocanegra as, as the technical director. And what he's done and continues to do that should, we should take uh, – that should be really taken of note by every team, Adam. You know, last year mm-hmm. on this topic, you can go back and listen if you, if you want, that I said – Atlanta would not only be the most successful expansion team out of the two of them, but they would make the playoffs in their first year. I also noted that it was Bocanegra's playing background and his experience that he had with the Rangers during their their um, their time in liquidation when they um, when they filed for bankruptcy, where as a club captain, he stayed on and played for free in order to learn about the rebuilding process of a club that I think was that, that proved so beneficial to his job currently. That this experience, both on and off the field, um, I believe, is something that Manny comes nowhere near close to Bocanegra. And I've yet to even mention the fact that it, that the ownership in Atlanta has been very public about um, getting behind the vision that Bocanegra has. In Minnesota, too much is done behind the closed doors, as I mentioned, and a blind eye is like kind of always turn turn towards who's accountable for failure, with a complete lack of transparency to the fans. You know, there's no, there was no ownership in the fact that they clearly had fallen down when they um, when they first started, and and we were quickly trying to play catch up, outside of Adrian Heath's weekly press conference where he urged fans to really trust that the fact that these guys are going to turn it around. Um, you know, 
and, and that, that's great and all, but where are the sporting director and where's the owner's voice then? Yeah. So I'll stop a little bit there and before I get angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Atlanta's uh, just on another planet. I mean, they're, they're – so the Bocanegra, the Bocanegra backstory is fascinating, no doubt. And clearly he's doing a lot of things right. And he, he has clearly has ownership who back him to do these things. So, I mean, I don't know. It's a tough comparison because they're, they're changing the league. Uh, they're not just different from Minnesota. They're, they're different from everybody. They're, the, way they're, the way they're getting into the South American talent market, uh, these big transfer fees, apparently this, con- this confidence they have that they can, they can, they can move those players to Europe – which you know, from my perspective, is just which is sort of U.S. soccer in general is my lens, and uh, the U.S. national team and the talent pipeline. It's just like a wonderful, wonderful thing. Right? Are they are they a head and shoulders above Minnesota in every way? Yeah. yeah I mean, there's no there's no there's no denying that. I, I heard Don Garber on the, on some other show, I think with Grant Wall the other day, say. It's too bad for Minnesota that that Atlanta that they came into the league at the same the same time as Atlanta because by any any other standard Minnesota had a very successful launch. And it's it's so funny to uh, hear you hear hear you say that because it, it, he basically brought Minnesota in and gave them no love and was like, "All right, great. We'll have a team in Minnesota." and was all over Atlanta. Like Oh, they're gonna they're they're gonna be so great. Their ownership's awesome, you know. Like they're gonna do great things for the league, and they've shown that they have. So he wasn't wrong there, but he really shit on Minnesota, and then now he's saying that kind of stuff. It's pretty pretty funny to hear. Yeah, maybe he's just trying to make up for lost time. Well, with um with all that said, um let's look at how Atlanta began and continues to move forward. They they built um an MLS tested proven backline of former. U.S. national uh, national team players and and international players outside of this country, as well as former MLS Cup champions. They brought in Michael Parkhorse, Greg Garza. Um, they had Mears, Lorenowitz, and, and Guzan came on after his um, his just disastrous season in Europe. But he's a good goalkeeper. Um, and they inserted a solid international from Argentina, uh, uh, Lindro Gonzalez Perez. They mm-hmm. they drafted in the expansion draft Ambrose and and Kane. Um, in the super draft, they really hit on um, Julian Gressel, and yeah, that was uh, a big hit. It was a big hit, and then they they brought in Robinson, who was um, subsequently loaned out, but is back with the club. Um, you know, here's where things got good, Adam. They signed some really young South Americans, like you mentioned, the, the talent in Almiron, uh, Villalba, and Martinez, and, and kind of let's pause here for a second to explore it a little bit more. I know you have some thought around these guys and, and how smart it was to bring them in for not only the present, but what their plans are maybe with those type of guys in the future. Yeah, we're seeing across the league uh, South American youth invasion. You know, a lot of, a lot of young, like t- around 20 years old players being signed by, cl- by teams in around the league, several. I mean, Minnesota was even uh, chasing, chasing a kid from – Cali in Colombia. I don't know. I don't know. Is there any news on that? Is that? I haven't heard anything. I just know they were kind of sniffing around. Yeah. Who knows if it's real or not? But I mean, 
uh, Atlanta was the Atlanta was the pioneer. I, I mean, not that there have never been uh, South American talents in in MLS, but young and uh, expensive. I mean, that was Miguel Almiron. That's right. they, they're really the pioneer with that. And the the I mean, I haven't spoken to Bocanegra about it, but the widely held assumption is that they they're going to sell Almiron this summer uh, to Europe and and make a little bit of a profit. And so that I, people haven't been doing this until now or haven't been trying to do this that much. And there's you have that, that happening along with the gradual relaxation of the transfer rules, like the rules on how much of a transfer revenue a team can keep. Other people understand this better than me. It's very complicated, but you know the, they've they've changed the rule on homegrown transfer transfer revenue. Club teams get to keep all of it now, and they get a, a large a larger they get to keep a larger share each year from here on out. Of I think it's GAM general allocation money. So those that's all wonky and boring stuff. But it but the upshot of it is that there's gonna be more of this talent stopping off in MLS and then moving on to a bigger league. I think partly as a result of Atlanta's ambition and, you know, Tatar Martino's presence there. It's it seems it seems to me like it's changing the league. Don't you think? I would mean, I would 100 percent agree with you. I would 100 percent agree with you and I think it's I mean like I said I made it no secret that I think that they're doing things the right way and it's something that we need need in 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 the game in the United States you know let's take a little bit of look at, free, at you know as along those lines that the well let me let me ask you a question let me ask you a sure. question so so say Atlanta sells Almiron and at, at a profit and then they sell and then Barco plays for like two years and then he gets sold at a profit and my Barco could Barco could be bigger than Almiron, you know mm-hmm. um it could be smaller too but could be bigger say that happens what is what does Bill McGuire think when he sees that you know well, is, is he gonna say oh we need we need to do the same thing or, I think or what? he I think he doesn't have a clue about it to be honest with you I don't think he has the soccer mind to 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 have that thought process i think it's oh it's not that complicated it's not that complicated it's but i feel as if he's more short-sighted and he he's allowing the other folks in the room that are the quote unquote soccer minds make the decisions and he he's just kind of the the guy who owns a team you know do you think bill Kraft in in new england is gonna say something like that i don't think so i think he he has people that he you know that he put in place because they're smarter in that in those avenues. And I don't know if it if 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 Bill McGuire would would even say anything. You know, I, I think it, it falls solely on on Manny and on Amos. So, so is Manny gonna is Manny gonna see that and say, okay, you know, we can we can do, we could do that. We could do or we could we could start really investing in the academy and we could do that. We could we could do it do it ourselves. You know, develop talent ourselves and make money that way. You know, I think he's I don't smart. even know. I think he's smart yeah. enough to make those make those assumptions and and identify that. But then again, it goes back to Bill McGuire writing the checks to be able to make it happen. So it's mm-hmm. it's kind of this weird purgatory of decision making that that I think Minnesota United falls into. But I I, I think that to, to go to your point, I think if you look at free agency in 2017 so far for Atlanta United trading away 
that weird allocation cash to, to acquire Darlington Nagby. Like that's not something that we do here. It's something that Atlanta does because they, they, they found it a hole that they needed to make a, a, a longer playoff run and, and to be a little bit more successful. And, and that guy's not going to go to Europe. That ship sailed for him right. when he, his unsuccessful transfer to, um, to Scotland to play for Celtic. So he's going right. to stay here. So that there's your stopgap for if Almiron leaves and if Barco doesn't pan out or he leaves as well, you know, but they also brought in, you know, Jose Hernandez, uh, Franco Escobar, you know, they, they, they drafted, um, or no, they, they brought in, um, you know, former loon and FC Cincinnati and kind of the darling of the U.S. Open Cup um, shot stopper Mitch Hillenbrand to cover if Guzan doesn't pan out. So they've made they've made moves that we just don't do. And we have every opportunity to do that. And and I by no means am a fan of Atlanta and I don't want that to <laughs> that to come out. But as a soccer fan and kind of a student of the game, you have to look at it. That these guys and what they've established, you got to tip your cap to it. They have a clear plan of of what to do now and how to move forward into the future, and have made moves to try to make that to make themselves more successful. And like you know, I mentioned Nagby, um, you know, and, and a few others to kind of help it from the playoff perspective next season um, to make that push. And and they have the same avenues that Minnesota United had. Um, and as a supporter of Minnesota United, I'd be pissed if I really looked at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm. I'm not. I'm not pissed. I'm excited about what Atlanta is doing, and I think it'll. It's got to have an influence on the front office in Minnesota eventually. I mean, the fact that they're they're reportedly willing to spend four million dollars on a on a twenty year old attacking midfielder from Colombia. I mean, doesn't that tell you that that something has started to click already? It's either clicked or it's just lip service because they needed to say something. Maybe, yeah. But you know what? We'll see what the future holds for these two teams. But in my opinion, it would take a rash of like nasty injuries and some hard luck with players leaving for the World Cup this summer to not place Atlanta in the playoffs again in their second year. Well, I think Minnesota United will be a frustrating side of tryhards again. And it's sad to me because I want them to be good. I really want them to be successful and raise the profile of soccer in our state um, because it's good for everyone. But I think the fuse was lit before they, they kicked the ball last season uh, and it's getting closer and closer um, as average steps are being taken as a club to get better. And and who knows? I, I could be totally wrong. Um, I've been wrong in the past, but it, it seems like a good no, you haven't. If, I, if I were to put money down that uh, Minnesota United will not make the playoffs and there'll be frustration and maybe a head will roll. Or maybe more than one head will roll, or maybe no heads will roll. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I. I mean, it's. I want my one last thought on it is 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 it's weird because I think to myself, you know, Bill McGuire is spending 150 million dollars of his own money to build this stadium, and 100 million dollars for the franchise fee. Wasn't that what it cost? Yeah. Something so like I mean, that. the dude has put down some serious money, and uh, so I can understand why he's he's not ready to like spill on big signings just yet whereas the Atlanta United owner also owns the NFL team and sort of I don't know it's not like McGuire doesn't have money he has plenty of money but it's it's a lot of investment so I'm I'm gonna give him another my inclination is to give him another year to start to show some ambition but 
you know, six months, if, if by July they're, they're treading water or taking on water, I'll probably, I'll probably be close to joining you. <laughs> well, you're welcome. You're welcome to join me. It's, it's not a bad place. Yeah. I like, I like being with you, John. Um, <laughs> should I close it out then? I think it's time to close it out. I think, I think it is. I think, I think we've talked, we've talked long enough about this and everyone gets it. Yeah. Um, you yep. know, there's, yep. there, there's a potential for a bright future for Minnesota United. We all hope it, it turns around, but all indicators are that it's not going to. Yeah, I I wouldn't go that far. I'd say, I mean, well, maybe maybe you're right. I'm 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 willing to let the indicators play out a little further, just for the record. <coughs> it's it's being the, recorded, so the record has been been noted. Okay, recorded on the record. Uh, that's all for tonight's show. Thanks again, Nate, for being gone and allowing me to join the booth this week. It was a blast, and thanks as always to the sponsor, Summit Brewing. Looking for something different different to engage your taste buds? Check out the recently released High Stick Alt Beer. If you're looking for a beer that is easy sipping or something to throw back while watching a few matches, this is it. Go get some right now, today. Memberships for 2018 are out here, out there on the plains, waiting for you to jump on and ride them bareback. Do you have <laughs> yours yet? If not, then go get signed up. $60 gets you a cool membership card that doubles as a season pass to all upcoming city matches this summer, a fancy new membership scarf, and the magical ability to talk to crows. If you love soccer and you love supporting your community, why not do both? Align yourself with a team that loves to give back. Minneapolis City is a 501c3 that does good on and off the pitch by providing people from all backgrounds with access to a safe, reliable place to play the beautiful game. It is tax season, so start thinking about those deductions and consider giving to the club that gives back. If you want to get a hold of show with questions, if you want to get a hold of the show with questions or comments, you can do so on Twitter at, at the People's Pitch or through email at mcscpodcast at gmail.com. And finally, as always, you can hit the club up at, at MPLSCitySC. That'll do it for this week. Leave you with our new house MC, our other NPSL showcase participant. This is the one, the only current MPLS City player, Miles Stockman, Willis, who goes by the name Emmy Lays with Moves. I'm Adam, that is John, and you are the people. Soccer is a gift. Just pull the bow, open it up, and explore the benefits, friends. You got hooked. Motherfucker, just trust the process. Uh. All these dudes do is talk, so I'm not that talkative no. Too busy hitting blunts to my body deprived of oxygen yes. Solo dolo anonymous, skill is real like I'm Solomon I'm confident that we ain't the same like a homonym We're not. My girl just woke up looking like she modeling Feet up on the ottoman, about to feel her collagen In times of division and negatives, be positive Since a teenager, did it major like a college major. Thought I was the dean, getting debits, yeah, feel scheduled 16's worth 18 credits, got credentials Wallet filled, cream cheese, lettuce, bills, presidential Burning gas, unleaded, embedded in the mental I'm a rare thug, give the bag a bear hug Take the Donald's daughter and make her vacuum my prayer rug Falling excessive through 24s on a Roomba Equipped with extra batteries cause I got rooms bruh Boss among bosses, never have to be debriefed Not a man of many words, all my sentences are brief 
give a rapper a halo, I'm like Commander Chief Have the music lit, the way that I be decoding beats Body coated, all in Gucci, lungs coated with the key up Styling all y'all with the styling. Clorox wipes for the sneaks About to explore her sheets, broke I can't afford to be Smoking on a Christmas wreath, wrist look like a coral reef Ballet tried to kill himself, the way he's suicidal I appear in the club like I'm scuba diving Fly no autopilot, making moves in private Treat her like I don't need her, my main bitch more like a sidekick Can't wait to meet my maker, maybe then become the savior Shawty thinks that I can save her, cause I never shop at savers But the way she's sucking on me, thought I was a lifesaver Never get blue balls, only blue on me is on the paper Soul blacker than Kodak, throwback in a throwback Cut me down, I just grow back, giving facts and you know that Ride it like she on horseback, life a movie like Bojack All this lean on me, no fat, pimping shit, sipping cognac with a big ol' rock resting on my nuts, got me doing pinky ups. Three bills on the custom chucks. Thinking about haters wishing there was a new emoji. Thinking about my ice wishing I had a zamboni. Fiending for the power, Demaculate sitting on the throne. Meditating in a mandala made out of cobblestone. Get a million dollars, couple friends that I could probably phone. Turn the crib to the Middle East, the way I'm getting stoned, bros. In my zone, yeah. Always alone, future sown in my bones, leapfrogging over stepping stones. To each his own, but boy, you better check your tone. My life a work in progress, still I'm shining like construction cones. So incredible that they still waiting for the sequel. Like a scaling triangle, cause I don't really have no equal. Look at the money like high bag, grinding till I say high sway. Doing me like do ray in a supreme north face. Get to home base, no foreplay. Asshole in my aura, flow is swimming like orcas. Freely wink, call me Oprah. Have my mom's off the coast up yeah. Brazil chillin' with coast up what? Rudy drink on her coast up yeah. Lossin' out uh, all that what? Oprah <laughs> I got the moves I got the moves You finna lose You finna lose I make beginners lose Yeah I make the masters lose Yeah I make the legends lose Yeah I make the game lose I got the moves I got the moves I got the moves I got the moves You finna lose You finna lose You finna lose You finna lose I make beginners lose Beginners lose I make the masters lose I make the legends lose, legends lose. I make the game lose, game lose. I got the moves.